Hi everyone, welcome, hello, hello, good to see you. Um, so thrilled we're all here for this really amazing, wonderful event. Um, my name is uh, Brandon Sam. I'm a professor uh, here in the literature department and uh, the current director of the new writing series here uh, at UCSD. Um, before we get started, I wanted to um, ask that we all check and silence our devices, make sure uh, your ringers and um, uh, sound devices are, are turned off for the reading. I also wanted to share that we have two more uh, exciting uh, readings to look forward to this quarter. We'll be showcasing our first year MFA writers on Wednesday, May 22nd. And then we'll close the series with our graduating MFA writers uh, on Wednesday, May 29th. Hello, come on in. So please uh, do mark your calendars for those uh, events, and please do join us for those exciting events. So our MFA program uh, got started in 2009. Uh, it's a two- to three-year program uh, that focuses on innovative writing and cross-genre literatures while emphasizing an interdisciplinary and really interconnected approach to literary uh, arts. Since the program started in 2009, uh, we've had numerous uh, gra students graduate from the program and go on to publish exciting and much-celebrated work. We get to celebrate three of those writers this evening, Paula Capo Garcia, Keith McClary, and Hannah Twatter. Uh, we'll be hearing from each of these wonderful writers and celebrating their most recent publications, which are for sale here. We have copies for, for you all tonight, so please be sure to find the writers after the event, buy a book, say hello, um, meet them. They're really wonderful, really fabulous, and kind people. So I'll read their bios. Paulo Capo Garcia is the author of Clap For Me, That's Not Me, Rescue Press 2018. She earned her BS in magazine journalism from Syracuse University, an MA in English from UC Davis, and an MFA in creative writing from right here, UC San Diego. Her poems have appeared in the Volta, Poetry Society of America, Academy of American Poets, Night Block, and others. She's the co-founder editor of the literary arts journal Little Tell, alongside Maria Flacavento. Originally from San Juan, uh, Puerto Rico, she now lives in San Diego, California, where she teaches 12th grade English. Keith McClary is a writer and graphic designer from New York. He is the author of the graphic novel Killing Tree Quarterly and Top of the Heap, as well as the co-author with Sophia Stam Starmack of the audio novella The Gothicers. His work has appeared in Heavy Metal, Acapella Zoo, and Weave, among other places, and he is co-editor of The States of Terror, horror anthology series from Ayahuasca Publishing. He is also uh, the comics curator at Entropy. His first novel, again, for sale this evening, Circus and the Skin, was published in December 2018 by Kraken Press. And then we have Hannah Twatter, is uh, the author of Reptilia, also from Ayahuasca Publishing, uh, 2018, just fresh off the press, and completed, uh, and she also too completed the MFA here in writing with an emphasis in interdisciplinary poetry. Some of her work can be found in Pacific Review, The Mondegreen, Dirty Chai, New Delta Review, White Stag, Black Candies, Gross and Unlikable, The Rad of I love this. It's not the advocate, the radvocate, which is really amazing. I love that. Uh, States of Terror, Volumes 1 and 2, and Amor Forense, Birds in Short City, an anthology of border region translations, as well as various online collaborative projects. She's currently uh, the book reviews editor at Entropy. So please put your uh, hands together and welcome Paula first. Hello. You're right, I do feel the urge to like speak into these, but I won't. 
Uh, thank you, everyone, for being here. Um, it is Teacher Appreciation Week, National Teacher Appreciation Week, so I hope you are all appreciating your teachers. I think it's kind of special that we get to read here during that week. Um, so thank you, UCSD, and thank you, Brandon, for organizing this. Thank you, Keith and Hannah. I'm excited to read with both of you. Um, today is my mom's birthday, so I'm going to dedicate this reading to her. Um, I'm going to read mainly from the book, Clap for Me, That's Not Me, but I'm going to start and end with two new poems because I think it's a miracle that I have written them. Um, I've not written anything, um, so I'm going to celebrate those and open and close with them. Uh, the second section of the book uh, has a series of one-liners, and I'll be reading those in between all the poems. Eight Count. I am your favorite high school teacher which means I give bits of myself to the lowest bidder. A piece here from my hip to the lonely, a piece of my heart to the weary, a chunk of thigh for the curious, a song for the indifferent. The exhaustion has not been exaggerated. I am barely standing, only articulating from memory, not ability or instinct. I'm thankful for the past for giving me a script for this moment for allowing me to command the room while balancing fuckability and nurture. Isn't that the goal? Everything I dreamed of as a child, every birthday wish come true. Grading requires space and choreography. Every be more specific is a pas de bourree. Each why a chasse. The length of my hmm the most beautiful arabesque you've ever seen. This paper is a stage of our unfolding. When you call me sassy, I call you racist. Accruing. Little did I know I was accruing. I was amassing itness, striving for allness, stopping short of relatedness. The light hit me in a way that people tell you isn't flattering. It revealed portions of myself that had been waiting to be trotted out for consumption, for dissemination, for fandom. Those who accept it get to keep it. It is theirs. It is theirs. It is a new puppy in a house with an old puppy. It is theirs. I mourn every series finale, but quickly move on to a new one. It's something I can control. People who talk to me. Best self. Just over here being my best self, keeping up with the K-beauty skin regimen, loving every ounce of myself, doing as I say, saying as I do. You know how it goes, how it rolls off my lavish lengua. But when I use it at the grocery store, many I'll go home. But my best self doesn't curse, doesn't yell, doesn't flip the fuck out. Her eyes may burn a little, turn all the way to the side and rest there. She might huff and puff, but best self keeps it together because she just wants it to be over and tomorrow and the next day. Next week, this self will be even better because time makes her better, ripens her, sees the effects of the beauty regimen sitting taut on her blemish-free face. She knows more, too, about the world approximately seven days worth of knowledge more than you, ensuring her place in your thirsty heart. Best self works hard, plays hard, falls harder, bruises her pretty face, and never leaves the house, makes a to-do list. Such a Virgo. <laughs> These days saying you're Puerto Rican is followed up with a sad face emoji and the proper amount of indignation. Thanks. Yellow. When I was young, I thought the soul was a body part. To the right of my heart and in between the pre-breasts, this soul thing would nest. And then one day it fell out? No. It stuck around too long and made a house of my insides. The walls were yellow, which I now know is the color of hunger, and that's why I crave baby chicks and gold. 
There was so much furniture shoved inside of me, and even if the decor was mid-century, the style was mortal. My memory is hungry. She wanted me to paint my face every morning. Makeup could enhance, better, make use of this face. But then my dog licked the second face off clean. That is my favorite movie. English is a newer, cuter puppy, and I'm scared it'll die of bloat. Depth perception. Not affection, but impulse. A mutual pleasure having in eye-fucking. An understanding of how we're moving our mouths, biting our bottom lips in that tray cute rom-com way. My bad depth perception makes it hard to drive, touch, poems. No matter how close it is, it is not, because it is actually quite far and I am nowhere near it and won't be for a while. It's amateur hour in my jeans right now. Just feel how antsy I am and loud. You see that thing over there? That is a structure. A big, grand, looming person. Seeing you is to strip down to my 12-year-old self. The neutered poem is my favorite poem. Esto no es poesía. Esto no suena como poesía. Esto no se mueve como poesía. Q for Maria. If I sit here long enough, I can isolate the words. Sounding out every syllable until I'm so turned on by what my mouth is accomplishing. It fills me. I am ambitious. They are pleased. I live to be filled. Gently, I am not a suitcase. Gently, I am not a bucket. Today, I resemble a thing waiting for her number to be called. I wonder how the women in the room feel, he asks. That's my cue. All Spanish lives in italics. It is collapsing. It is whimsical. Either way. Feeling like everything's okay. Feeling all like soft and kind of shapely. Feeling pretty at home but while on vacation. Feeling all is appropriate all at once. Feeling like things could go either way. Feeling like I have no opinion on that. Feeling all around displeasure and sourness. Feeling pretty good about my decisions. Feeling as if this feeling won't go away. Feeling tired but ready to be mobile and perky. Feeling like I shouldn't do that. Feeling like I should wait half an hour. Feeling mostly myself. It's only a matter of time before our heroine experiments with bangs. <laughs> Untitled. You single? You come here often? You live around here? You drinking? You ready? You think so? You want to take this outside? You would. You feel me. You speak good. You speak now. You say things. You smile wide. You soften. You do. You understand. You need a ride. You get it. You should. You special. You from here. You legal. You blush. You busy. You believe in God.
You good. You vote. You like that. You require that. You can. You knew. You need a hand. You take it. You all right. You feel that. You feel everything. You feel good. You know it. You want it. You accept it. You want to settle this. You into it. You ready. You impress everyone. You want to come over. You needed that. You better for it. You must. You island. You whole. You citizen. You lady. You peach. If I don't buy today, how will future me know I was alive? Waiting. A state of waiting all day, waiting for a handful of things. I've been waiting for packages, practical and the not so immediate. Waiting for shows to stream, I choose the one long commercial viewing option whenever I get the chance. I'm waiting for a phone call that with time has accrued importance, an email that has the answer to so many things in my life right now, and tracking numbers, waiting for the energy to take out the recycling, a letter with a parking ticket, a letter with a coupon, waiting for him to get back to take out the recycling together, a text giving me the okay, the day to cool down, poems to assume the position, waiting for time and my hunger to align, waiting for time. Professors would clap for me when I'd say something smart, a pat on the head for keeping up. Refund. What does it mean to relish any opportunity to return? to purchase something only to turn around and reject it. The power of put down, reverie and refusal, never keeping anything that is not your favorite thing, never settling for the object that is not the apple of your eye, making it your mission to get back what you gave, to confront the giver's sins, to not only look back but reach back and grab. I am a chronic returner. I come back to the scene of the crime. I get my refund. Let them know I'm not satisfied. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Keith McCleary. Uh, thanks so much, Powell. That was awesome. Um, then thanks, Brandon, for having us. Uh, so I'm going to be also reading from my MFA, MFA thesis project, uh, this book, Circus in the Skin. Um, so as Brandon said at the beginning, if you don't know about the UCSD MFA, which many of you do, um, it is well known for being experimental and multimedia. And when I applied, I applied with some like experimental flash fiction and some comics and just like as much weird stuff as I could. And, uh, and I got in. And then once I got here, I was like, okay, so you know, now that I'm here, I'm going to write a horror noir novel and it's going to be about a tattooed man at a circus who's also a war veteran. And the book's going to start the morning after the circus has been torn apart by a storm and all the circus freaks are holed up in a boarding house because they don't know what's going on. And meanwhile, Sue, the tattooed man, he thinks that like this, the actual storm was actually a work of sabotage by a one-armed dwarf and an ape-man back from when he worked in Coney Island. <laughs> now, I'm telling you, like I've never been an ex a professor in an experimental writing program. <laughs> it went about as well as you might expect. Uh, and like by the time somebody came back around, we're like, we're not totally feeling this project. I was like, mm, too bad, it's already mostly done, so I'm just going to be here. Um, so, you know, there we are. Um, so I'm going to be reading a couple chapters from it. And uh, the other thing about reading an MFA project is that if you made really dumb decisions along the way, some of them you are just stuck with forever. <laughs> um, you can edit things 
I just saw one hand go down like this, and I felt somebody's heart with my heart. Um, so one of the things is that the book is first person. It's written in the voice of Sue, the tattooed man. And I just like would read it in this voice to amuse my cohort, and then I just like got stuck with it. And I would try to read out of the voice, and somebody would be like, no, 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 can you do the cowboy voice? <laughs> And it's like that's what it got called. It's mildly like that. And so I become increasingly more uncomfortable to read from this book every single time. Because even if somebody doesn't say it in the back of my voice, in the back of my voice, in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm hearing Rachel say, like, do, the, do the cowboy voice. <laughs> so I don't know how to read it any other way. And frankly, it gets awkward. Um, so I want to start with a little story. This is a relatively true story, meaning I heard it somewhere and it sounds real. Which is... Elvis Presley was backstage at a gig, and he was warming up, and somebody comes to get him to go on stage. And he's sitting back there, and he's like strumming his guitar, and he's like, hum, hum. And whoever's there is like, uh, Elvis, uh, what are you doing? And Elvis says, oh, no, I'm, I'm channeling Johnny Cash. Because Elvis did not want to be Elvis. Elvis wanted to be Johnny Cash. And... I don't know who I want to be in general, much less when I read this book. But if it worked for Elvis, it worked for me. I'm going to ask to start with, and then it'll be over, because I know that I don't want to be that weird guy that does tons of audience participation, but I need like 30 seconds of audience participation. Or we're going to do the Johnny Cash hum, so you all have to be awkward with me, and then I will read, and then, you know, it'll be, I promise, slightly less weird than if I just launched into it. So I'm going to kind of, you know, count off, and we will do three of the Johnny Cash hums, and then I will read a few chapters. Hum. 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 There was bedlam in the upper rooms. As I rounded the stairs, two forms passed, ran past me, glowing amber, chasing one another under sheets lit by flashlights. They thumped the floor and ran off laughing into some dark corner. When show people don't have enough attention, they start putting shows on just for themselves. The need for being eyeballed bleeds out sideways when it ain't fed. You get a bunch of drunk carnies together long enough, sooner or later you're going to get some kind of put on you'll regret. I heard a violin and drumming deep. Laughter echoed and a warm redness swam beneath the doorframe, pouring like wet mud across the floorboards. Voices muttered and sang. I passed a red room, swearing I, I just didn't care, needing to sleep. Sounds came amplified through the walls, so I heard each laugh and rise and fall of conversation. The energy had set the house awake. Something heavy slammed on the floor, followed with a clink of bottles. I began to feel then that this strange week was a sort of ending, but what was ending I wasn't sure, and what had changed I didn't know. Behind me was a shout, the smell of wine, both beckoned. I turned and left that place. Down the hall, some kind of masquerade was taking place, played out between reds and oranges hung all around. It was a big room and abandoned, strewn with furniture and storage boxes. I saw a rocking horse and an extra bed, outfitted with a canopy, chairs and desks and hutches and dry sinks. Lamps had been set up around these relics and blankets draped over top, making tents and arcades and midways. A fire breather and the poodle lady and the cook were setting up to be the stars in a makeshift play, while Tillinger, the stagehand, poured from bottles of cheap wine. More empty bottles near the door told me this evening had been going out of time. The fire breather found masks among our leftovers and passed them out. The poodle lady wore a peacock's crest. The fire breather a jester's hat. And Cook was left in a wolf mask and matted mittens meant his paws. Their story seemed unplanned, but pulled laughter from the floor as others chatted, dozed, or wrapped themselves in one another backward. Omar, the strong man, and Mei Shan, the rubber woman, cuddled half asleep with lazy eyes. Sari, the snake woman, and other dwarfs laughed loud and nasty. 
Etta, the horse rider, was here too, red-cheeked, dancing with the fire breather, stage costumes clinging tight to her muscles. A guitar was plucked and tom-toms drummed by folks I couldn't recognize. Perhaps if I had, my senses would have sharpened. I was born between heavy trees in a dark forest. The wolf's eyes were shadowed by his mask, his arms cloaked in fur. I come up hungry to eat men, women, all they babies. He smiled, yellow teeth, drunk laughter rose. I thought Cook alone had lost the sense of himself. His performance seemed less fabricated than the rest, as he became the angry, muddled dog he maybe always was. Then a hunter come, the wolf shouted. He shot up the forest. He shot me up. The fire-breathing jester bounced in, carrying a child's bow. The jester twanged his bowstring, and his little arrow bounced off the wolf's pelt. More laughter. Cook, balancing his wolf mask, reached to the floor and picked up the arrow, then stuck it under his arm and stood again as the arm went limp. I was hurt, he said, but I'm tough. I'm going to drink me some man blood. The poodle lady giggled from her chair, twirling a parasol. Cook leered over her. Or better yet, some woman blood, he shouted and jumped. The poodle lady careened backward, her, her alarm only half for show. She snapped her parasol shut and swung it across his face, not slow enough for how drunk Cook was. She caught his lip with one of the parasol's barbs and he went down, holding his face in his hands. Shit, he shouted. The audience filled with guffaws. Cook pulled his hands from his mouth, and they were bloody. Cook juice bubbling between his lips. As the group fell over themselves, he spit expletives, announcing he was all right, told everyone to go on, shut the hell up. The tom-tom and the six-string kept playing, ignoring the confusion. And I looked, really looked this time, at the musicians in the corner. It was a dwarf drumming, and a big ape, pulled the strings. No one I knew from our show, but that was commonplace. This had become some kind of public house for freaks. But then the dwarf smiled at me, and the ape nodded, thick and dumb. The dwarf only had one hand. And there are times when your body gets ahead of you, when you touch your hand to a lit stove and pull away before you know the heat. There are times when the mind races and pulls the body after. And there are times, my love, when brain and muscles find a rhythm and those times are fearsome. When all of you is throwing itself forward without talk between your different parts. Some decision's been made and the part of you ain't mind nor body, but something in between is left asking whys or wherefores. This is what happened now in the orange darkness of that room. I stepped forward without knowing, watching myself as I crossed to that dwarf and ape thing. My hand reached out. The dwarf's good eye went big and the ape growled so that I only had time to raise an arm when he swung his six-string, six lines of wire digging through my flesh. The wood rebounded with a tongue and the crowd gaped, cook and poodle lady and jester too. A bay window was built into the back of the room. In a second, the ape and dwarf were scrabbling at the lock and went through it, all feet and elbows as they fell. I couldn't chase him in into an alleyway to clear the air and punish him, because there was no alley, and this wasn't Coney Island. The past became the present laughing at me. I ran to the window, watched figures running into the wheat fields. Behind me, Cook was sitting up with blood running out his mouth. What in hell, he said. One of the other drunkards glowered. Bandits, he said. Things began to glimmer and connect. Papa Canelli stood in the bedroom doorway wearing a greasy undershirt stained with sweat. What happened, he said, to the room, but also to only me. Sue went crazy and punched a dwarf, said someone. Sue ain't crazy, said someone else. Must have had a reason. Bandits, someone said again. I tell you, said Papa, there's only trouble in this place. Perhaps no one knew what he meant, but I was a city of lights, and each one burned. More movement passed me. Sari's feet were flying out the room, down the stairs, thump, thump, thump. I didn't know what I'd started, but I followed after. As I describe it, it's as though time slowed, but that wasn't true. 
It was a stack of moments, Sari out the house, me after, not so concerned about what she followed so much as what I followed. Some part of me I'd buried rising up and tearing through the vines as though the dwarf and ape man had escaped my sunken memories into the space of that amber room. Sari the snake woman and me chased the past as if it might make clear the muddy banks of now. Inside the night held silence like a breath still containing the sounds of breaking glass and feet. We couldn't see shapes against the black, but I could feel the absence those two figments left. We breathed. The night hung empty. And then we saw a shadow, and Sari gasped. She'd grabbed a flashlight, and she flicked the switch. A man sat across the road. His skin didn't lighten, though the grass behind him did. He had lines in him, like me, but darkened grooves, thin waves from head to foot on every piece of skin not clothed. I'd seen Maori scarring in my time at sea. This man was white, and he smiled. His teeth were gums. He lit a cigarette. The smoke ambled toward us, and he blinked. His eyes reddened for an instant. Beyond him now, my eyes adjusted, and I saw light through the trees. The night sounds cleared, and I heard drums and voices across the field. The etched men, man stretched again, stood and nodded to us and walked back into the forest. Sari and I breathed together out loud, and I looked at her. Hell, she said. For a minute, I was back in Coney Island. Me too, I said. Staying here's just got us spooked. You think it was them, she asked. What were their names? It wasn't them, I said. It wasn't them. Christ, it's just ghosts. Shit, she said. I thought it was just me feeling it. Seems like we're dying in this place. This circus got too damn big, said a voice from behind us. Me and Sari turned. Cook was pacing out from the boarding house across the grass toward us. The house can't hold him, he said. More came today. Canelli told him to camp out here, he laughed. <laughs> now the freaks is in the trees. At least they all made it here alive, I guess. Fucking hell, said a voice behind him. Two dwarves stood by the door of the boarding house, but we heard their voices clear. Bandits, one said to the other. They turned to go, heads down. Bandits, said the other. Like a ritual, they walked inside. I wish someone would tell me what that means, I said. I don't, said Sari back. She walked past me. Ghosts, she said. That's what it means. Silent. Heavy. The moon watched us. Thanks. Hi, everyone. <clears throat> I'm Hannah Taywater. And I am going to mostly read from this book um, that was my, um, what I wrote to graduate from this program. And um, then I'm going to finish with just a few new things because, quite frankly, I get a little bored reading from this. I mean, just to give you a little context, I graduated in 2014. This came out last year. That's like, you know, how long it takes to revise, submit, get rejected, give up, try again, get rejected some more. Um, so, and in the meantime, I've had lots of time to write a bunch of new stuff that's, um, that I'm going to tack on to the end here. So... Um, this book is broken into three sections, and um, the first section, all the poems are named for a different um, species of snake, and the second section is all about um, different snake deities and myths, and then the last section is um, sort of a longer extended poem that uses a lot of um, found language, and it's a little interdisciplinary, um, so this is a little context as, as I'm reading through it. Typhlopidae. No, start with this. Its tiny tail coiling around the tipmost phalange, bleeding toward the knuckle. It can flex, extend, circumduct its little tongue. 
You have options. You have a slender-scaled black prehensility. You have nascent reptiles charred and writhing around each digit, massaging at the reflexes. Start a stretch. Its tiny body and ulnic tendon really extending to recoil. Vibration against receptors clustered, responding to a whisper, a hot puff of breath, a flick of a forked tongue. Slaver pulling down the divot between thumb and index, a small necrotic scaphoid fracturing the creases. The twist of phantom appendages, once engaging in fine manipulation with the forelimb. But you are caught between page and wrist. You have a backspace. You have a bruised serpentine hollow. You have localized tenderness within the snuff box. Start again. Try it this time with the lens stretched, moving back and forth across the retina. Try it this time with the residue sloughed off, a vellum too taut for gesticulation. You have options. Anili Day. Question. What do a geographer, a painter, a technician have in common? Question. Are we general or thematic? Rattlesnake. Death adder. Saw-scaled and chain vipers. Philippine cobra. Tiger snake. Black mamba. Taipan and fierce. Blue crate. Eastern brown. Belcher's sea. Answer. A map of lung, liver. Answer. Long, singular muscles. Answer. Cross-hatched, charted. Answer. Linked across four arrows. A scale. A bent bat fang toward a throat. A vestigial nib etching a signature along a fjord. Cartography is reality. Remolded to speak spatial. Resonance in accordance with. Lapidae. Start here. Pretty and aphasia while I finish this topographical map, sketch each fold, shade each crest. Add a rose pointing toward the temporal lobe where the venom bled panthalassic in one paralyzing perimeter. Thirty feet wrapped around the critical period, pressure against its pretty neck, embellished along the border, entrapment of a median nerve. Even a sea monster, painted mythos, stretched and slender, compassed around each quadrant. A stunted neuroplasticity, stagnating skin hollowed, crumpled mute and senseless, condensing wave to stasis, more easily digested. It's only neuropathy, and even numb fingers can still curl, scratching along grid lines. Have a head start. Write each word you remember. I'll pierce them with a vibration. Stick my little tongue into each one and lap at air while I think of something better to say and compose a map of metaphors for poisoned speech. A red-faced cloud blowing curlicues from the upper corner into paper sails. Snake around each finger, knuckle to the fibers, kneading, threading belly to the current, rewritten, taut, and torn until it's just a scrap forced into glass. Hydra, Ophion, and the Gorgons. Fucked an ocean wrapped seven times around a bird, an egg, a hatchling, and sand. I hoisted heaven against time, father. Fighting minutes, fighting directionality, women with tails morphing into doves, blood so poisonous whole planets formed, and the space between words, between ions. This madness growing two more in place, each second dividing in half ad infinitum, each inch until we never touch. Slowing the rhythm of flightless titans, snakes mouthing underworlds, incubate other gods spawn, hang constellated in star clusters, each severed line doubling chthonic or cosmic, divided twice more into stone, sea daughter changing gold into serpents with too many heads to count, so say just one set of vacant eyes, eventual dust, eventual neutrinos slowed to 
apathy, sluggish, and waiting for reaction, father waiting for catalyst, eruption, a shift in the geography. Aida and Dambala coiled 7,000 times to keep from sinking. Cosmic trench down through other side into sky and breath, gushing blood into every ocean. He took another snake wife, tightening around continents until they split open newer mythologies, other patterns. On more twisted bellies, more gaseous nebulae, drifting into a newer symmetry balance. Father, I'm falling through her coiled so close, falling past all thousands of lines stacked again and again and again. You are sky cosmos creator and here is a newer ecology where even air is a snake womb star forming cocoon of ions charges attracting repelling pushing further from the other pole eating my own tail my own waste keeping everything too heavy hovered in time and immaculate minutes until a newer goddess and with less burden it's so hard holding planets inside me it's so hard being the only one who's here hard being here only hard being who's here who is here the o fights one the light was the serpent Two, the serpent was the intellect. Three, the intellect was the woman. Four, the woman was the serpent. Five, the serpent was the light. Six, the light was the woman. Seven, the woman was the water. Eight, the water was the chaos. Nine, the chaos was the darkness. Ten, the darkness was the serpent. Eleven, the serpent was the woman. Twelve, the woman was the abyss. Thirteen, the abyss was staring, thrusting, erupting into the dialectic, the dialogos of havoc and harvest. An older woman bleeding still, always, always iron into soil, washing the stigil feet, molten and cooling into a newer fable, limbless, encircling a heavier mass folding under pressure, one prismatic diamond child, only everything, everything in this right now, everyone, I am the black hole birthing backwards unfolded aminos piecing my paper shell tighter from inside where gold we change into a brighter alloy a more malleable metal five vibrations or how we left the page you grabbed my hand and we fell into it like a daydream or a fever we peered through pits in our stomachs Watching outward, hollows we cord ourselves and attempted to fill with words which gradually seeped back onto paper. And we held hands when the flames extinguished like that solves anything, witnessed our own dissolution into vapors condensing on windows. Remember when I pixelated the particles and dampness we inhaled petals from an apple? I gave you volume. We muted stations and stasis, that state where we hurl ourselves forward and time we take to trace each other's face in the frame that outlines this place in sonic currents, trembling against our skin. We stood watching, back to the film when the buildings fell. I felled out the void where earthly lines push out, bowing backward, hollering horn-like compositions. Sound waves against stone. Fingers loose. We acquiesced to the gape in the space where time became ionic, frozen in the column, called our name, hushed like dry leaves in an electric storm. After volumes of my work, I whispered so you could only feel. I was suddenly only a leaf, drying, but you... You were an ancient bloom. That was that. When I finished writing that book and I graduated from the program, I was unemployed and I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And I was like, maybe I'll go back to school. I don't know. Maybe I'll just watch a bunch of Star Trek. Um, I did the latter. I watched a bunch of Star Trek and decided to, the best way of making use with my time is if I wrote poems about Star Trek. And I did that. And so... 
I have an entire book of Star Trek poems, and I'm going to read a few of those, um, a couple of those from season one. 1.10, Haven. Genetic bonding, like bonding with jewels, like buying a wife, tradition not totally out of practice. I am honored by your beauty. Take responsibility for it. I am a young human male. Know no difference between physical and platonic. But I will give you options of relenting. You looked most beautiful with my eyes closed, kissing you. 1.12, Datalore. Can holding another's memories be also your memories? I didn't know soil could be this lifeless. Barren from even traces of stories or other people's stories, my memories or remnants. Is information the same as living? Is my copy me or my brother? How does one really define machine? Terms of perfection. Things. Things. 1.16. When the bow breaks. We could cloak this whole place in darkness for art. This shielding technology. We've been hiding for millennia been monitoring. Oh, yes, we know you, bends and light waves. How much are your children worth? How far must we push a structure of feeling? Things are only possible until they're not. Like, I'm not one for hugging, for using power safely. 1.24, Conspiracy. Have you ever swum in moonlight? We all came, here secretly, in strange patterns and vague memories. We are superior life forms unsusceptible and observant, us women, all subterfuge and body horror, patient in sending out beacons for home. Once I wrote that, I decided I should write some real work. So the project that I'm working on uh, now that's actually a work in progress is sort of a a really heavily interdisciplinary um, collection, and I'm just going to read two poems from that to close it out. And Each of these poems actually has a corresponding glossary entry, so I'm going to read the the glossary entry and and then the poem. Ice Cube is essentially a subterranean telescope, a complex of underground wires constructed in the ice of Antarctica to detect neutrinos traveling from violent events in space. Neutrinos are so small that they cannot interact with other phenomena as they travel which make them excellent, see, uncorrupted, subjects of study. One such neutrino registered by the complex is having traveled from the direction of Orion. Ghost neutrino. Unbent and unseen, pass me through violent violent events, miles of rock, hard places. Encoded in tiniest scripture, learn me, nature of cataclysms, of others, theory of everything, fundamental understandings. Do our bodies even move through space or lovers to the tune of old formulas anymore? Ghosting through skin, a catechism no longer reliable or relevant, but how far do we bend to revelations? Do we only form when we shatter? Do we only matter when we empty space? Existing as ghosts of ourselves moments after collision. Spectrals of the most energetic events in the the universe. Either recurrent, unfelt, or catch and spark, flint and feldstone. Series of precise strokes. Lightning striking twice in the place over my right shoulder where we avoid eye contact. Probe what even light can't penetrate. Thrust to the core of black holes. Celestial bodies, gut feelings. Reframe me as something smaller, terrestrial, as number and spectrum. A message so perfect, it can never be misdirected. As the Cassini spacecraft was nearing the end of its mission, it detected a complex organ- it detected complex organic compounds in the plumes expelled by Saturn's sixth largest moon. This was not a function the craft was designed to do. And after this detection, rather than risk contaminating the moon, the craft crashed and disintegrated into Saturn's atmosphere. Enceladus. Violent events produce raw materials, plumes. 
pulsing matter into rings. This orbital frequency builds on itself a being so complex it shifts the function of non-sentient objects, we caught in propulsion. Tidal forces can heat enough of the inside to create compounds capable of reorganizing what was once understood about who can decide how a creature is made. Alkaline and serpentine, negatively charged when broken, this subsurface is shallower, closer to breaking points. This core is more porous, closer to reactive elements, mythologies of catastrophe, hydrothermal venting of raw emotion, the materials they feed on, whether gushing or a trickle, delicate, ve delicate veil folded into space. The elements are there contributing to our previously unimaginable habitability, multi-segmented and vast and interface between substance and emptiness, liminal space between scar and eruption, the violence taken and given back, a constant exchange, power or force, and the things that come collecting. At least it had the courtesy to crash somewhere it wouldn't contaminate what we're trying to build. Thank you. are magical and they all tell stories. So the Illustrated Man is just a framing device for a bunch of sci-fi stuff. And when I read it, I felt cheated. And I was like, I don't care about any of these weird stories. I want to know what happened to that dude. And so then I was like, I'm going to write the book about what happened to that dude. Um, this is for, for anybody who wants to answer. But so I'm just curious about that process. You know, you do the, the thesis of conversation as we find out that comes to the <laughs> And then I got it. 
But I ended up finding value about, about the thesis, but that wasn't so much about the specific feedback I got on that day because I had already gotten feedback from all of them beforehand. Um, it was more about I've learned new ways to talk about my work. Yeah, like, that's what I really got from that defense. I'm like, oh, because they, they really helped me orient my aesthetic, what I, and, and forced me to really put language to things that I think of as just intuitive, right? We write and we just feel natural to us. We're not always forced to put language to what, where that comes from. And so that to me is most valuable. Yeah, and, and, and I think for me personally, as I do so much like interdisciplinary science writing, which can get really dense. And so having people Keith, your writing is like you're a machine. You're not thinking. It's automatic. Like, you just 
get an assignment and you spit out something that sounds like another fighter. Every time that happens, I want you to break the machine. And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> and so then for like the next couple of years, like anytime I wrote anything, I had that woman in the back of my mind, like, break this page. <laughs> <laughs> so that was helpful. Like, Born as a teacher is sale so please come up say hi to the author buy a book thanks again for being here and see you in a couple weeks for the first year MFA thank you